0: guys and welcome to another episode of sip with me i'm your host ioana kekados
1: and i'm your host Erin carlson we'll release an episode for you every monday morning which means you can listen to us during your commute after work workout or even enjoy a drink with us during your very own monday night happy hour
0: and who doesn't like to have a little fun on a monday night don't forget to subscribe review and share our show
1: And be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at sipwithme underscore for the latest episode updates, news, and all of our favorite cocktail creations.
0: For this week's cocktail, we are so excited to be featuring Mark, also known as Tacocat215 on Instagram, who shared with us his favorite cocktail, the grapefruit and blood orange soju cocktail. Take it away, Mark.
2: Happy Monday everyone! My name Mark also known as Tacocat215 on Instagram. I'm co-founder of the company Happy Hour Philly. Happy Hour Philly was started at the beginning of the pandemic as an Instagram account to help restaurants that were struggling because of the pandemic. Over the past year and a half we've transformed from an Instagram account into a company that does contests, events, and we even have our own seltzer. As a Korean-American adoptee, I found the great way to connect with my Korean roots is through food and drink. Korean culture is really having a moment right now, so what better time for you to explore Korean drinks? The most famous Korean drink, of course, being soju. If you haven't heard of soju, soju is a rice-based liquor, and you can really purchase it anywhere they sell alcohol. It's easy to pick out on the shelf because they come in little green bottles which are 375 milliliters, or just over 12 ounces. It's about half the proof of a vodka, so you can drink it straight without being too scared. And soju is a fun, social drink. Since it's low ABV, you can take shots of it all night and really not get too crazy. Traditionally, you never pour your own. Someone younger than you will pour yours using always two hands. Soju comes in original non-flavored variety, but also comes in a number of flavors such as strawberry, grape, plum, apple. And for our drink, we're going to use grapefruit soju. Soju is a little bit sweeter than vodka, so it goes well with any fruit. So our cocktail today is going to be a grapefruit and blood orange soju cocktail. So to get started, you're going to have to get a shaker, and you're going to fill it to the top with ice. We're going to add two shots of our grapefruit soju. Next, take a fresh blood orange and juice it. Add that juice to the shaker. If you don't have fresh blood orange, don't feel bad. You can just grab some orange juice from your fridge and use that instead. The last ingredient is going to be some fresh mint. Add that to your shaker. Let's cover it, and we're going to shake that vigorously for 45 seconds to a minute. After shaking it for about 45 seconds to a minute, we're gonna strain it out into a martini glass. And the last step is we're gonna top it with some tonic water. And there you have it, a grapefruit and blood orange soju cocktail. If you make a soju cocktail, make sure to tag me on Instagram at tacocat215.
1: So grab your grapefruit and blood orange soju cocktail and your fanciest cutting board because we're cooking up something veg-centric with a best-selling author and viral TikToker who is based right here in our hometown, Chicago. Welcome back to the episode. This week we are vegging out with excitement and I have to tell our guest and everyone listening that we've been doing Sip With Me for a year and a half and this is unequivocally the most excited slash nervous that we have ever been to have someone on the show (laughs) because this person checks all the boxes of somebody that you would want as a friend, as an ally, and as an advocate fighting for you in your corner. Our guest this week is Joanne Molinaro. She's more widely known on social media as the Korean vegan. She has millions of fans around the world who during COVID quarantines became as enamored as Ioana and I are with her TikTok content. Not only does she make beautiful videos of the most delicious vegan recipes, and they are, we've made many of them, my fiance is vegan, but she weaves in beautiful narrative on both her experiences as a Korean American and a woman of color in the field of law, and obviously all of those things intersect and overlap. Her amazing recipes combined with her like, eerie ability to tell a powerful story and her trademark calming voice have created something that has captured the attention of everyday folks like us to world political leaders, to A-list celebrities, and literally everyone in between. And now she has a new cookbook memoir out, and we are without words that she is here to discuss it with us today. Joanne, welcome to Sit With Me.
3: Oh my God, thank you so much. My ears are burning, my, my <laughs> cheeks are tingling. That was like the nicest introduction ever.
1: <laughs> Yay, it's, it's well-deserved. Yes. Oh,
3: thank
0: you. So,
1: First and foremost, we would love if you could just give a little bit about your backstory. So we know that you are from Chicago like us, but describe your family and how you grew up and kind of what led you on the path that you took in life to becoming a lawyer, becoming vegan and all that kind of stuff.
3: Yeah. So happy to share my backstory, although... I feel like it's a very typical backstory. Um, my, my parents are both born in what is now known as North Korea. They were uh, certainly my mom's side of the family. They were refugees in South Korea uh, during the Korean War. And my father's family also kind of migrated to South Korea right before the war. They both ended up in Chicago. Well, they married. And then they both ended up in Chicago, Illinois. And then I was born. Uh, My brother and I were both born here in Chicago. In that respect, I think that there's probably millions of people who fall into this category because- You know, I think a lot of people here in the United States view North Korea and South Korea to be so different and completely opposite ends, and they have become that way in many respects. Mm-hmm. But at the time my parents were born, many people still viewed the peninsula as one unified country. And the line between them was rather arbitrary. Um, so in that respect, it's atypical. You hear, oh, yeah, my parents are from North Korea and everyone's like, whoa. But then yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, but it's actually not. As atypical as one might think. So I grew up in Chicago, um, very, again, not unusual childhood, was raised in the suburbs. You know, I went to school in Skokie, Illinois. uh, And then we moved to Wilmette, and I went to school at Wilmette Junior High and Nutria High School. And my parents were very focused on my education this is a very Korean value. I mean, historically, Mm -hmm. you know, over millennia, Korea has valued scholarship over anything. And my father in particular really inherited that trait from his family as well. So for us, it was always school, school, school first, school above everything. And I graduated at the top of my class in high school. I went to University of Illinois, graduated a little bit early because I got to you know skip a year uh thanks again to you know rigorous study in high school. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and uh yeah as a result of that i you know graduated a year early and i think what ended up happening was i wasn't ready to be an adult you know yeah. on paper mm-hmm. i was ready to be an adult on paper i was ready to be a college graduate i had all the credits i had the grades mm-hmm. but mentally and emotionally i wasn't ready and i had no idea what to do And so I spent a year sort of like, you know, I I think I was a resume writer for a company here in Chicago and couldn't have picked a really more perfect job to figure out what career paths really looked like because I was sitting there looking through people's files. What did you do? (laughs) You know, your job. Um, And I kind of quickly realized, well, I really don't want to get an MBA. I'm not good at selling things. That's not my thing. I thought about being a vet because I loved animals or even a doctor, but I faint at the sight of blood. So that was pretty much out. Yeah, I can't deal with it. Like I did not know (laughs) this about myself until it happened. (laughs) Um, So that was pretty much out. And then I came across the file of a lawyer and I was asked to write her resume. And he said, you know what? This looks okay. I think I could do this. And after that, I, you know, took the LSAT, applied to law school, and it's just the rest was kind of that. It, so, I guess what I'm getting at, there wasn't really a lot of intention behind my choice to become a lawyer. I wasn't one of those kids who kind of grew up saying, "I want to be a lawyer," or "I want to change the world," or "I'm going to, you know, follow yeah. in my parents' footsteps." It was more just like, "I need to find an adult job and I don't know what else to do." So, I guess I'll be a lawyer.
1: Yeah. And talk a little bit about your influences around food and culture growing up and how that has influenced kind of um, the lifestyle, the vegan lifestyle that you chose and, you know, the very unique way that you are able to kind of influence and, and spread like that lifestyle in a, in a way that people really like resonate with.
3: Yeah. So my uh, grandmother, when I was a little girl, I, I lived with both my grandmothers. So when I was between the age of like zero and three, my mother's mother lived with us. And from the age of four to 13, my father's mother lived with us. My mother's mother was a farmer all her life. So when she came to the United States and she saw, wow, you guys get your own yard here. Um, She decided to plant a farm in our backyard so we always had our own fresh produce you know all year long you know and so Our dinner table was full of fresh chilies, fresh, you know, sesame leaves, tomatoes, squash, corn I mean, everything that you can imagine. So we had a very vegetable centric way of growing up. Um, Of course, there was, you know, meat and fish on the table as well, particularly for special occasions, but so much of our food was already veg centric. I think the hardest thing about growing up as it relates to food was, of course, that nobody else was eating like me. Mm-hmm. I would be the only one showing up to school with the kinds of lunches that my grandma packed for me. And even when she started to figure out, OK, I got to do something a little bit more American, it was never quite right. Like there was always something a little bit off and it always made me feel so self-conscious. Now fast forward to college and I'm away from Korean food for the first time in my life and of course the only thing that I want is Korean food. All I want is to eat Korean food. And you know that sort of lasted with me through the rest of my adult life and when I ultimately decided to adopt a plant-based diet in 2016, I was so nervous that I would once again be bereft of Korean food. And by that time, I think I was, at least self-aware enough to realize that in some respects Korean food was sort of a proxy for my Koreanness and yeah. I was worried, you know, that going vegan would take away my Koreanness in some ways and that's why you know the Korean vegan was started was to prove to myself and to prove to other people that you don't need to break with your heritage and your cultural traditions if you decide to adopt a plant-based diet
0: So kind of going off of that, something we found super interesting, which I didn't know about you was that you recently started making TikToks in the last year, but you've been blogging for so many years before that. What inspired you to start your blog and what inspired you to start your TikTok during the pandemic?
3: I started my blog largely as a functional thing. I was a little bit pushed into going vegan by my then boyfriend now husband and i was reluctant about it and again i was reluctant because i was like what am i going to do about korean food there's no you know korean vegan restaurant here or you know and i thought maybe there'll be a blog so of course i googled it and there really wasn't i mean there were blogs that had certain recipes but there wasn't one just devoted to veganizing korean food and i was like well, okay, fine. Since nobody else is gonna do it, and I need Korean food, I guess I'll just do it. And so that's kind of you know what motivated me to really get into it. I will say, um, you know, the thing that really started it off is. Again, I was dating Anthony at the time in typical girlfriend fashion. I really wanted to impress him. (laughs) So, you know, he went vegan and I started baking chocolate cakes for him and making him vegan pastas and risotto. And he was like, oh, my gosh, this is so good. You should start a YouTube channel called The Korean Vegan. And that's basically, yeah. And I was like, all right, (laughs) okay. That's basically how it all got started. So something
0: I really connected with you, My both my parents are Greek from Greece. Um, so I love that you really kind of combine both your culture and family um, and your family stories through being vegan and food. Uh, kind of share with us what you've learned about your family and Korean culture and history through being vegan.
3: I think. There are so many things that I've learned about my family and about Korean culture that I never would have bothered to learn if I hadn't gone vegan, which of course is the big irony. A lot of people said, well, you can't be vegan and Korean. And if anything, I feel much closer to my Korean identity than I ever have before being vegan, because it forced me to do some discovery uh, and sort of my family and these roots that I was so afraid of uprooting, right? And so one thing that I learned about my family's history was of course, I had a much better handle on their journey uh, from again, what was then, you know, or what is now known as North Korea to South Korea, to the United States. I I kind of had like vague little history about it, but I never really understood the specifics. I learned a lot more about my father's life story and dating all the way back to when he was a little boy and the hardship that he had to endure, not just because he grew up so poor, but because he grew up in an environment that was just so unhealthy, you know? Mm -hmm. So that really helped me to see my father in a way that I never, again, probably would have if I hadn't gone vegan In terms of, you know, the Korean culture, again, another thing that I really started to understand better was the difference between, you know, traditional Korean culture and Korean diaspora. I'm not Korean Korean. I'm Korean American and there is a Mm -hmm. pretty big distinction between, you know, Korean American and native Korean. And it was a distinction that I maybe kind of took for granted or didn't bother to appreciate. And as a result of getting acquainted with traditional Korean cuisine, and of course my preferred cuisine, which is, you know, pretty Korean American, it really forced me to grapple with that in a, very productive and honest way.
1: Could you talk, that was actually my next question. Um, I know you've talked about diaspora several times in different platforms. Could you talk a little bit about that concept? And, you know, it, I think it has, it's heavily played a part in, in your story. Um, but just tell people, like, what is, does that term mean and, and what does it mean to you?
3: Yeah, so I think diaspora to me, I always think of diaspora as like seeds, like I, literally, it's like a windy day and you see seeds sort of flying into the air and sprinkling all over the world. That's how I view diaspora, which is, you know, the tree is, you know, sitting at home in Korea, but its seeds go all across the world and get sprinkled and planted everywhere. That's kind of how I view diaspora. And I am not in Korea. You know, my parents, they came here and they built a tree or they planted a tree, We literally planted a tree. My, my grandfather took a cutting of a mugunga tree, which is the uh, Korean flower and brought it here and planted it in our backyard in Skokie, Illinois. So our roots are now planted here in America. So diaspora is sort of the seed that lands not in the native country. And I think when people look at me and they see my you know maiden name, Joanne Lee, they say, oh, are you from Korea? Are you Korean? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I was born here in Chicago. I'm American. But I'm not American-American like you think, you know, either. So I'm like kind of stuck in this sort of middle place where, well, I'm not Korean-Korean, but I'm not American-American. I'm Korean-American. And what does that mean? And the definition of Korean-American is evolving every single day, which totally makes sense because for the most part, many Korean-Americans are of my vintage, of this generation. We're sort of that first pioneering generation of people who were born here in the United States, but whose parents are from a different country.
1: I got chills. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what so,
0: is, oh, go ahead, Aaron. You can go ahead. I was just going to ask, what is it really like to turn some of these dishes that are traditionally, um, you know, containing animal products um, into vegan versions? And kind of where do you both get inspired, but like how does that creative process work to, to change them into vegan recipes?
3: i think that in many situations there's actually not a lot of creativity involved because korean food is already again so veg-centric that if you just like take out one or two ingredients there you go it's vegan. um so it's really easy like there are a lot of stews where I'm just like, I don't need the pork, just get rid of it. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I like the potatoes. So. <laughs> um, there's this great, it, and it's in my cookbook, it's called kamjatang, And gamjatang means like potato stew. So I'm thinking growing up when I order kamjatang, I'm gonna get this beautiful stew full of potatoes. And it's actually just pork shoulder, a ton of pork shoulder with like a tiny little bit of potato I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, call it something else then. So when I <laughs> veganize that recipe, I was like, I'll actually make it more accurate by, call, <laughs> you know, by making it a potato stew. Yeah. So that happens a lot. But you know, other times I think it's about being um, open-minded to trying different things. Like if something calls for meat, think about all the different foods out there that you can call upon that maybe has the same texture, provides the same mouthfeel, like eggplant. Tofu, yeah. uh, you know, there are a lot of vegetables that, you know, can, you know, the, the ever versatile soybean and what you can do with that. Mm-hmm. So there are so many different ways to really go about it. And you'd be surprised, Asian cultures in general, I mean, they have got the market cornered when it comes to alternative protein yeah. sources. It is yeah. unbelievable.
1: So you mentioned the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and like what kind of recipes did you include? I'm sure that there is lots of narrative. We're going to learn a lot about you in it. Just tell us about it.
3: So the cookbook is really, because it's my debut cookbook and it's my first cookbook, it's really just like, hey guys, these are my favorite recipes. Like literally <laughs> like these are the things that yes. I make all the time that I love to eat. I mean, there's no like, These are the healthy recipes or these are the, you know, there's no gimmick to it. It's just, hi, this is my favorite foods, basically. And these are all the things that I wish somebody had veganized for me or that, I wish were available at a vegan restaurant. They're very simple for the most part. I mean, these are things that can be done very quickly with very minimal experience in the kitchen because I am you know, self-taught home cook. I'm not like a chef or anything like that and I don't cook that way either. So it's just a lot of fun recipes. There's, I think like almost 90 recipes in there, a lot of stories about my family I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday and I was telling him about the cookbook and he's like, so basically it's your TikTok account in a book. And i was yes, like, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the vibe yeah. I got. Yeah, it, that's basically it. It's basically TikTok account in book form.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we're for sure going to love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Um, the last question I have for you is, so my fiance went vegan during the pandemic Um, And I kind of like was a part of that journey and like, you know, the slow gradual increase and elimination of, of animal products. Um, But for folks out there who maybe are on that journey or are thinking about becoming vegan, do you have any advice or, you know, any, any benefits challenges that are really common or something that you would want to say to someone at the start of their specific journey?
3: I think that any journey is composed of steps along the way. And I'm a long distance runner. As a long distance runner, the stupidest thing you could do is go out and sprint. That is not the best way. You are going to fail. You're setting yourself up for disappointment and a lack of self-confidence. So as a long-distance runner, what you do is you go out at a slow, comfortable jog, much slower than the pace you ultimately want to end up in and finish at, right? And I think that's the same thing with any big change in your life. Now, I know some people are all about literally 180, you go one day, you're eating a steak and the next day you're never eating anything like that again. And that's great for those people. But I think for the average person, my advice would be, hey, instead of thinking you gotta do the whole thing at once, why not just do it once a week or even one meal a week? Say, you yeah. know what? On Mondays, meatless Mondays, I'm gonna replace my hamburger with a beyond meat burger or an impossible burger, or even tofu if you wanna be adventurous. You plenty of tofu recipes on the cream <laughs> <laughs> find them. But I think that's really the best way to go because again, as with any change, The way to set yourself up for success is building your confidence at doing it. And you got to create small goals in order to develop that confidence that will lead to long lasting habitual change. I love that. Do you have, so obviously the cookbook and you've been working
0: on so many different things. Um, Do you have any future plans you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: Well, I think the immediate plans are all focused on making my book as successful as humanly possible. So, right now, I am working with uh, my team, as well as, you know, with my husband, who is essentially the general manager of the Korean Vegan, to outline the parameters of a book tour, uh, a, a national book tour, potentially international. We might go to Europe as well. Yes. Um, yeah, we really just want to meet you know, the members of the KV you know community who have been yes. so supportive and so fun and just so wonderful. We want to give back to the community and really reach out as physically as possible, since we've been prevented from doing that for a year and a half and, you know, sign books and get together with them. I think I'll be launching TKV meetups, which is basically, you know, and you two should be coming. you will be invited. you are going to be doing them all throughout Chicago uh, for the remainder of the summer. And just, again, meeting with members of the community to get to know them a little bit better.
1: Awesome. And then we like to end every episode with a rapid fire. So we have five questions. First, simple answer that comes to mind. Are you ready?
3: Yes, I am ready.
1: Yes. All right. So first question, favorite vegan recipe?
3: Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jaja is is uh, a black uh, bean noodles, fermented black bean noodles. It's actually the cover of my cookbook. It's delicious. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds so good. Okay, favorite TikTok video you've ever made? Oh, well, my favorite TikTok video I ever made was the one using AOC speech on the floor of Congress. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Love it. The apple pie. That is probably hands down my favorite video. That's our favorite mm-hmm. too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Favorite vegan Chicago restaurant?
3: Oh, that is hard. Okay. So if it's in the city of Chicago right now, I've been really enjoying Kale My Name. They're a new restaurant. They opened right before COVID, like literally right before Mm. quarantine. And we've been going to them a lot. I really love the owner. He's got high energy, lovely man, and the food is phenomenal. Yes.
0: We'll have to go. Yes. (laughs) So, name someone who you've either felt starstruck with or has made an impact on you that you've met through this experience.
3: That's easy. Ritual. He's why we went vegan, and I got to meet him earlier this summer. And I have never felt so starstruck in my entire freaking (laughs) life. Like I was like speechless. I I was I don't even know what's happening. I felt like I was in an out of body experience. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my last question, what is the uh, most important or your favorite lesson that you have learned in the last year?
3: Mm, That's a good question, but I would say the most important lesson that I've learned is that I need to do a better job of acting, not in reaction to fear and anxiety, Mm. but with intention and purpose. And that purpose being the acquisition of joy. That is the biggest lesson I've learned in the past year. Wow.
0: Wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. And I can relate. So,
1: out of body experience. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we all so, need it occasionally. Yes, yep. especially after this year. So yes, we are a cocktail based podcast, but if you don't drink, that's totally fine. We ask either a cocktail or non-alcoholic beverage of choice. That's your favorite.
3: Oh gosh. Um, uh, I really like anything that's fruity, Oh, I really like um, pina coladas. Yes. Um, yeah, oh, a cocktail. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to Hawaii in so long, but when we used to go there often, it was like, oh my gosh, I yeah. could drink these every day. <laughs> yeah,
1: swim up bar at the pool. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's what we all need. This. Yeah, year. yeah. we it need is. all of that right yeah. now.
1: <laughs> all right, tell folks where they can find your cookbook. Also, what it's called, and where they can find you online.
3: Yeah. So the cookbook is The Korean Vegan Cookbook, and you can find me online. Just basically Google The Korean Vegan, thekoreanvegan.com, The Korean Vegan on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, basically everywhere, all social media platforms. The book you can find anywhere books are sold.
1: Yes. Everyone follow all of her platforms, get the book, go to the meetups, do all the things, Joanne and Korean Vegan. Thank you so very much for taking time to talk with us. We are very excited to see you continue to grow and spread everything that is positive and helpful in the world. You've truly been a light for a lot of people. I have seen it firsthand Mm -hmm. how um, helpful your content has been to people during the pandemic. Um, so thank you for all that you do and, um, keep up the good work.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for all that you guys do, uh, for keeping things bubbly here in the city of Chicago.
1: (laughs) This is your weekly sip with Eric Carlson and Ioana Kikados
3: pouring a glass of the week's
0: hottest news here are your top headlines
1: For something vegan according to veg news on October 11th Burger King will become the first fast food restaurant chain to offer impossible foods vegan nuggets. The nuggies will be available in an eight-piece order with a choice of dipping sauce only at Burger King locations unfortunately for now in Des Moines, Iowa, Boston Massachusetts and Miami Florida. We wish they were coming to Chicago. The new menu item is a limited-time launch to test the meat-free item with consumers, and we hope that they will come nationwide soon.
0: And in honor of spooky season, we have some Halloween news. Um, Parents can now safely allow their children to trick-or-treat outdoors this Halloween, um, according to Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, He said, quote, you can get out there. You're outdoors for the most part, so enjoy it. Kids who can get vaccinated for the coronavirus should do so for just an extra, de- extra degree of protection, he added. The vaccines have been authorized for kids 12 and up by the FDA, and the FDA could provide a similar emergency authorization for children ages 5 through 11 in the days before Halloween. And just to kind of look back at last year's Halloween, Fauci had advised parents not to allow their children to go door to door.
1: And in other vegan news, Cadbury, the famous chocolate company, is set to release its first ever vegan chocolate bar, available only in the UK for now. The bar is made of cocoa, almond paste, and rice extract. No word yet on when or if the bar will be distributed to other countries, such as the United States, but the company did release this statement to fans. Quote, Dear plant-based Britain, we're sorry. Sorry it's taken this long. Cadbury said in the announcement also, sorry it seemed like we weren't listening to your calls, sorry for not being able to respond to the rumors, and sorry for all the other chocolate you've had to eat while you wait. We hope you'll agree it was worth the wait. We think it was.
0: And if you're planning on going to the U.K., there are some disruptions when it comes to travel recently. Um, Southwest Airlines canceled more than 1,000 flights on Sunday as disruptions that the airline blamed on air traffic control issues and bad weather affected the travel plans of thousands of customers. Southwest said in an understatement on Saturday, it hoped to return to close to normal as operations as we move into Sunday. The Dallas-based airline canceled 808 flights on Saturday according to the flight tracking site FlightAware, and this isn't really something new. Staffing shortages fueled hundreds of cancellations at Southwest over the summer. The airline did trim its schedule after the summer to avoid future disruptions. Other airlines have faced a shortage of workers after encouraging thousands to take leave or buyouts at the height of the pandemic, only for travel demand to return faster than expected. And those are
1: your vegan headlines for the week. Be sure to tune in next week for the news that you need to know now.
0: Thanks for listening to Sip With Me with Ioana and Aaron. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website sipwithme.org. There you can find our themed cocktail book as well as other exciting Sip With Me content.
1: And if you love our podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social at sipwithme underscore. And purr, 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 join us next week, Cool Cats and Kittens, for an interview with one of our favorite stars, Tiger King's Carol Baskin, as we chat with her on the state of her big cat sanctuary and the big cat legislation that is currently making its way through Congress. Don't miss it.